What is good, everybody? Welcome to the podcast. We are in Ephesians 3. Today, and man, we got three, what, three more chapters left in Ephesians? How many chapters? Yeah, three more chapters left in Ephesians. At this rate, I mean, who knows? We, we, might, we might finish it by Christmas, but I hope you're enjoying the series so far going through Ephesians. I know I, I have, um, I've learned a lot. There is, there is a, a gift and there's some real wisdom that I have learned throughout these scripture studies that we've done on the podcast of taking your time reading the Bible. And, and sometimes for me, it makes me feel like I'm not actually really reading my Bible. It feels like if I don't get through a certain amount of chapters or verses in any, in any given session that uh, I, I'm not doing enough. But I find myself spending 10 15 20 30 plus minutes sometimes on just one verse and just trying to fully understand all the things that are going on and you know what that makes sense because although the bible was uh written for us it wasn't written to us so that means for instance with the letter to the ephesians paul isn't writing about modern day problems he's not writing about modern day disagreements. Now, we can definitely apply some of the principles that he gives and use it to help guide us so we can live more like Christ. But at the end of the day, we have to be able to do our best to understand who is Paul talking to? What are the problems they faced? And how did they understand and receive the things that Paul is telling them? So, you you know, I know it may take us a while to get through Ephesians. It definitely took us a while to get through Romans. But if we have to take a whole episode on one or two verses if it means that we get a deeper better understanding of what is really going on and as far as i'm concerned um that's great because what's the use of being able to read chapters and chapters and chapters of your bible every day if you aren't able to fully digest what is really going on and what it's saying but with that being said uh we're gonna get through six verses today um these are fairly straightforward, but there's still so much that that we have to cover. So let's hop into it. Verses 1 through 6 in Ephesians 3. He says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So, I want you to remember back to the last episode where we finished up chapter 2. And Paul ends the second chapter by informing the Jews and the Gentiles that, that they both together in the body of Christ are a part of the new temple. And that new temple is the place where God will dwell. And if you remember, this had a very profound meaning, especially to the Jewish believers, uh, because before this, before Christ, the physical temple, was the place where God dwelled on earth, the Holy of Holies. And now, through the power of Jesus, God's dwelling place is no longer confined to a physical temple. 
for only certain people. But it is now found in the entire united body of Christ. And this is a very clear message to the believers that if you want to be in the presence of God and experience Him fully, if you want God to dwell with you and be in your midst, you have to be a part of His body. Because that's where Paul informs them that God is going to be staying. That's where he's going to take his rest. That's where he's going to dwell within the united body of Christ. So if you're not a part of that body, if you choose to uh, to be ununited because of these little various disagreements that you have, then you're not going to be able to experience God and, and be in the place where he dwells. And this is Paul's way of elegantly saying, uh, hey, put your petty disagreements aside or else you're going to miss out on being in the dwelling place of God. So Paul's entire message throughout chapter 2 is a message of unity, a message of unity amongst believers who need to be able to abandon their superficial disagreements in order to cling to an ultimate good. And that ultimate good is the person in the word of God, that is Jesus Christ. So now that Paul has tackled the problems of division amongst the believers, he's going to switch gears and switch focus to help explain to both the Jews and the Gentiles the reasoning behind this sudden 180 that Paul takes them on regarding the question, who is God's people? Now, in the mind of the Jews, they're God's people. The Messiah was meant for them, not anyone else. The Messiah was meant to be their king, their ruler. They're supposed to set them free. This was for the Jews because the Jews were God's chosen people. They were his treasure. They were called his children. However, when we examine some Old Testament texts, it's clear that God's ultimate goal is to unite all of humanity back to him while using his chosen people of Israel as the guiding light in that movement. We can look at a few passages here uh, because it, it's very clear when you look into the Old Testament that God wants this to happen. Isaiah 49 verse 6, he says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So here, uh, the nations, when you, when you see the phrase the nations in the Old Testament, uh, it, it's speaking about the rest of the world. Israel was their own group. They had their tribes within the greater Israel. But the nations always refer to everyone that's not Jews, everyone that's not Israel, Gentiles. So here, God's saying, I will make you, Israel, Israel, I'll make you a light for all the other nations so that my salvation can reach everyone else. Psalm twenty-two twenty-seven says this, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations shall worship before you for kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nation. Here again, the psalmist is pointing out the ultimate end goal that all of the earth will turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations shall worship God. 
Uh, Here's another one, Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 3. I love this one. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you, and nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Same sentiment, again, that the ultimate goal is that all people, regardless of if they're Jew or Gentile, will come to God, and God will reconcile all people. Zechariah 2, verse 11, this is the last one here. Uh, God says, or sorry, Zechariah says, And many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day, and shall be my people, and I will dwell in your midst, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. So the sentiment, and, and, and we just picked out a few. There's uh, some more verses that talk about God's ultimate goal of having all the nations come back to him. But you can see here that this is this is a present theme in the Old Testament, although it may be, you know, kind of verses splattered here and there. Nevertheless, it's there and it's repeated throughout various books that God wants all people regardless of if they're Israel or his covenant chosen people, God wants all people to find salvation in him and to come back to him. That is the goal. So the Old Testament is clear that although Israel is God's treasure and his chosen people, that his glory and salvation are not solely meant for just Israel. In the ultimate picture, God's end goal is to unite all of humanity back to himself. And what Paul is doing here in Ephesians is simply pointing out that God's end goal of uniting all people, Jew and Gentile, it starts and it ends with Jesus Christ. Jesus is the catalyst for this end goal. So with that in mind, let's start breaking down Ephesians 3 verses 1 through 6 here. Like we always do, we'll go verse by verse. Um, and, And let's keep this in the back of our mind, that God's end goal is to unite and and see where that gets us. So in verse 1, Paul says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. So Paul is right on track with where he left off in chapter 2, that the Jews and the Gentiles are to be unified in the body of Christ, despite their differences, to become a dwelling place for God. And as Paul will tell us later, This is the reason that he's writing to the Gentiles and reaching out to them. So Paul assumes that that they know this. He assumes that they have heard that God has given Paul this unique responsibility of bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. I mean, he says it as much in verse 2. He says, assuming that you've heard of, of these things. And there are multiple places in Paul's own writing and in Acts as well that highlight Paul's special role in preaching to the Gentiles. Romans 15, verse 16, Paul says it straight out. He says, But on some points I've written to you very boldly, by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Another one, uh, this is talking about Paul's conversion when Jesus, um, you know, confronted him and ended up completely changing the course of his life. Acts chapter 9, verses 13 through 16. Uh, It's talking about Ananias, but Ananias answered, 
Lord, I have heard from many about this man, he's talking about Paul, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is the chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he has to suffer for the sake of my name. And then once more in Galatians chapter 1, verse 15, Paul reminds them, But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. So with all of that, I mean, Paul's been very boisterous and upfront about his purpose of preaching to the Gentiles. His conversion story, which has already been written record and um, most certainly was shared verbally, probably a lot of places that he went. Uh, with, with all that being said, Paul assumes that his readers already understand his background of being converted and called to preach to the Gentiles. He also assumes that they know about his miraculous conversion and encounter with Christ. On to verse 3 through 5, he says, How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. So he's already told him this. Verse 4, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So what is this mystery that Paul is talking about? Is it just simply the mystery that Christ would have to die in order to fulfill God's promises? This is the first thing that came to my head. Um, it, because we see this talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says this in verses 7 through 8. He says, But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And what Paul is talking about in this particular passage here is that God kept his plan secret. He knew that if the rulers, physical and spiritual, knew that the plan was to have Christ killed all along, then they would have never killed him. And in this context, this was the secret and the mystery. However, this is not the mystery that Paul is talking about here in Ephesians 3. The mystery that Paul is talking about is actually announced in the very next verse, in verse 6. He says, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, I'm not going to lie. When I read this, my first thought was, uh, hey, Paul, you do know that the Old Testament talks about the nations, the Gentiles, ultimately following the Lord in the end, right? Like we just read some of those passages at the top of this episode. And the Old Testament says it multiple times that the Gentiles will follow the Lord. But here's where I was wrong. And I can understand if this was kind of the same thought process uh, that the Jews might have had, how they might have got this wrong as well. And that is this, that there's a difference between simply being God's people and being fellow heirs to his promise. There's a difference. 
between simply being a citizen of God's kingdom and being the king's children. There's a difference between being viewed as a foreigner and being viewed as a family member. What Paul says here is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. They are members of the same body and they're partakers of the promise of Christ. Paul is basically saying, if he could answer my question, uh, yes, the Old Testament does say that the Gentiles will ultimately come back to God. That's the goal. But it doesn't specify that they will be viewed as equals in status with God's chosen treasure, Israel. That was the mystery that Paul was tasked with sharing to the Gentiles. That was the mystery that Paul was tasked with informing the Jews about, that the Gentiles, they're not just uh, stragglers that we now have to drag along because we need to be nice to them. No, no, no. They're not just people that, you know, they're not the redheaded stepchild or that aunt or that uncle or that cousin that you can't stand, that you just kind of have to accept and deal with. No, no, no. What Paul is wanting us to see is that this mystery was that through Christ, like Paul just said in chapter 2, the barriers that once separated the Jews from the Gentiles, they don't exist anymore. They have no bearing on your salvation or your righteousness. So if those barriers no longer exist, then there's no longer any justification for you treating other members of the body of Christ as different, as less than. They all deserve the same treatment. You are all fellow heirs. There's none of us that have a higher status, like a higher firstborn status. That, that, that's not what's happening here. We're all fellow heirs. Because, uh, hey, the Jews, you have problems that you got to fix as well. And hey, the Gentiles, you got problems you got to fix also. So since we both understand that neither of us are perfect and the only one that is perfect is Christ, and that means that we need to be willing to go ahead and walk through the path that was once covered with barriers, but that's now being cleared by Christ. And that path all leads to one point, and that's to the head. And that head is Jesus Christ. We're all co-equals in status and in glory when we're in the family of God. That's a part of the mystery that Paul was sent to reveal. That the Gentiles, they're now included in this. They don't carry any higher status than the Jews. And the Jews don't carry any higher status than the Gentiles. Christ wiped that away. None of us can stand before God on our own and claim that we're better than or that we're perfect. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And that is a powerful mystery.